Well, today we're gonna kick off a, a discussion on what it looks like to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. And so I'm gonna start us by just reading the passage we're gonna to cover today. And so it comes from Luke chapter nine, verse 23 through 27. And it says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus is telling his disciples this at a very interesting time. And we're gonna back up just a little bit in time to set the context for what's going on. Uh, but this is occurring in Jesus' last year of his ministry. And he is starting to reveal to his disciples what's gonna happen to him. He's starting to kind of let out some clues that he is gonna suffer, he is gonna die, uh, he is going to die and he's going to come back again. He's starting to tell them over and over again what they should expect. And they react in very interesting ways. Uh, if you go back to Matthew chapter 16, one through four, we see Jesus do this for the first time. He, he gives a very specific clue as to what's gonna happen to him. It says, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to, to test him. And they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it'll be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. He says, no sign shall be given except the sign of Jonah. And if you remember from the story of Jonah, Jonah does something very interesting. Jonah goes down into the belly of, of, of the great fish for three days and for three nights, and then he comes back again, right? Jesus is telling him that he's actually fulfilling a prophecy. They don't quite understand this yet, but he is going to go down into the depths for three days, and he will go back again just like Jonah does. Well, these conversations continue. And after this theme in the Bible, uh, in the story of Jesus' ministry, uh, Jesus and the disciples are up in the area of Galilee and they go to this area uh, called Caesarea Philippi. And I wanna show you a picture of this place because it's a very fascinating place. This is a picture actually from whenever I was in Israel on the trip with Terry and Laura a few years back. And you have this cave that is set out by itself. And the cave to this day is incredibly eerie. It, you, get, you just get an odd feeling whenever you stand by the mouth of this cave. And the Greek soldiers who came upon, uh, upon this place uh, called it Benias, which means the place of Pan. And Pan was this Greek god who was half man and half goat. And he was the god of, of the wild, the, the shepherds. He was, he was very lustful. Uh, a lot of the sexual cultic aspects that occurred in the Greek, Greek culture came from or involved this god Pan. And when the Greeks constructed this mountain, uh, they believed, you know, whenever they went to this mountain, they believed something very interesting. This cave has this, this monument, has this uh, inscription to the god Pan. And they believed that 
Uh, not only was this a place where Pan could go and be worshiped and you could have these rituals, that they believed that this cave was actually an entrance to Hades. Uh, they, the Greeks believed there was many entrances in the world to Hades and this cave happened to be one of them. And so whenever I was in Israel with Terry, uh, we were gathered right outside this cave and Terry was teaching us out of the text that we're gonna cover here in just a moment. Uh, but, but in this text, Terry, uh, the, the, Jesus is telling his disciples, he's asking them, he's saying, who do you say that I am? Right outside of this cave. And Peter responds to, to Jesus saying, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to Peter so affirming. Uh, he really is helping Peter know that, that you know this because God has told you this, right? You know who I am because it has been revealed to you by God. This is not something that came from flesh and blood. And Jesus looks at Peter as they are staring at this cave, which they believe is the uh, entrance to the gates of hell. And he tells Peter, he goes, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Just a fun little story. While we were in Israel doing this lesson, uh, as Terry was, was talking about this text, it started raining on us. And so as it rained harder and harder, the group got tighter and tighter in together. And I knew this lesson before because I've heard Terry teach it so many times, right? And, and, and so as I hear him telling the text and, and the group is getting tighter and tighter, trying to get out of this rain and we start to hear thunder and we start to see lightning, I, I sit there and I go, I wonder if anything special is gonna happen here. And so as, tell, as Terry is telling us the story, telling us about the text, telling us about what's gonna happen, right as Terry ends with this statement, right whenever he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us, there's this massive thunderclap that comes through. And it's like God himself provided the exclamation point on the lesson saying the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And this is the message that Jesus is giving Peter right there. He goes, no matter what happens, no matter what occurs in this world, nothing will prevail against my church. And so we see that Peter is on this high, right? He has been affirmed by Jesus himself. He, he, he's been told by Jesus that he is gonna be the rock that the church is built upon. And then immediately we go into the next text right after this in Matthew 16, 21 through 23, we see this, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he's gonna be killed, and on the third day, he would raise. And we see this inter interesting interaction with Peter, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your, th your, things, your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Right, and so right now, if you're Peter, you've got an interesting dilemma here. You've gone just from Jesus saying, you are the rock on the church that I'm gonna build, right? And then he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. And we see Peter go from a high to a low. He goes from his mind thinking of the spiritual things of Christ, confessing who Christ is, to then this low where Peter's mind is thinking about a worldly thing. He's thinking about the power and the prestige and the glory that will come as he is the right hand of the Messiah, 
thinking that the Messiah is gonna come into Israel and come back and overthrow the Roman Empire and have this huge power coup, just like all the Jewish people had really hoped that the Messiah would bring. And so when Jesus recognizes this worldly desire in Peter, when he recognizes that, he says, get behind me, Satan, right? You're a hindrance to me, right? You are not setting your mind on the things, uh, on the spiritual things. You are setting your mind on the things of the world. That's the conversation that has just occurred, right? They've been standing at the gates of hell. They've had this interchange. And then Jesus goes from rebuking Peter to our passage today where he says, right there he goes, there in Luke, he says, and he said to all, if you're gonna come after me, right? If you're gonna follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That is the context of this passage. And so we see Peter do something that we call confess, right? He had been there where Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter confessed who he was. He goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the fundamental confession of our faith today. He is acknowledging who Jesus is. Well, this idea of denying yourself that we see in this passage is actually the exact opposite of confessing. Instead of acknowledging something, you are denying something. And Jesus is saying, deny yourself, right? Pick up your cross daily and deny yourself. And, and whenever we deny ourselves, just to make sure we, we understand practically what that means, when we deny ourselves, we, 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 set, we make sure that our desires and our will are not set against the right that Christ has in our lives. Right? If Jesus Christ is our Lord, then by definition of who he is in our lives, who our identity is in him, we can't put our will above his will. We cannot deny him that right. We are surrendered. We are sold out completely to him. We have to deny our will so that we can follow his will. Now, this does not mean that we are weak. It does not mean that we are passive. It does not mean that we are pushovers. It doesn't mean that we don't have passion in our lives or joy or freedom. Uh, it doesn't mean, right? This passage doesn't mean that we are all called to go die a martyr's death, even though some Christians do in this world and many, many have. It's not calling us to all of that. It says that if we're going to have faith, right? If we're going to trust in Christ, we have to deny ourselves in order to live in Christ. We surrender anything, anything that we hold on to that would prevent us from following his will. Last week, we talked about a, a different passage, but we saw that the, the Jewish people were holding on to something that was preventing them from, holding, from following Christ. They were holding on to their identity of their ancestry. They were saying, look, we are sons of Abraham. We are Jewish people. We, we are the chosen people of God. We are not slaves to sin. We, we are not in bondage from anything. We are God's people, right? And Jesus was trying to say, no, 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 no. If you, you are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to me, there's no freedom that comes from your ancestry, but they could not let go of that. In our passage today, Peter has something he's not letting go of, right? His will that he desires of who the Messiah should be 
right? That, that they should come and be a conqueror and that there should be glory and honor and fame and worldly desires that will come of that. He's not let that go. And Jesus is saying, you must surrender that, right? You must deny that desire and follow my will. Peter had confessed who Christ was, but he had not denied himself. And that's what Jesus is calling out. In my own life, just to kind of make this real for today, I had followed the example of Peter here very, very well. I, for the vast majority of my life, in particular my adult life, I had confessed Christ as my savior, right? I had confessed that he is the son of God. He is the savior. But I had not denied myself. Right? I had actually not made Jesus Christ Lord of my life. I had slowly and surely over time set myself up as Lord, set myself up as King, set myself up as God, changed my understanding of God. I had not lived for him. I had lived for me. And Jesus is telling Peter right here, he goes, it's not enough that you have, you have confessed who I am. I'm saying, deny yourself, follow me. Right? Follow my will, not your own. Then Jesus uses these striking words and a striking image, and it would have been just as confronting at that day as it is today. And he says, not only deny yourself, he goes, but pick up your cross. Pick up your cross and follow me. Now, this would have almost been chilling to anyone at that time, because if you had been in the Roman Empire, you would have seen this play itself out before Jesus became crucified. Jesus knew what he was talking about here, but the disciples didn't understand this yet. But they would have understood what the cross was used for at the time before Jesus was crucified. See, for any condemned criminal who was sentenced to die on the cross, they had to take one beam of the cross and carry it to their execution. And people would have understood that once you picked up that beam, once you picked up that cross, there was no going back, right? You had a one-way ticket to your destination, right? You picked it up you went to the place where you would die, right? And so Jesus is using that very, very stark imagery that they would understand better whenever he would die on a literal cross, but they would have understood what it meant there saying that when you pick up the cross, you can't go back. You can't hold on to whatever it is back in your past that you're trying to hold on to. You're gonna pick it up and you're gonna go to the place where you ultimately have to deny yourself. The interesting thing about this is Jesus is saying that as you deny yourself though, in return, what's gonna happen is you're going to live for me. You deny yourself your own will and you live in my will. And so we see in the rest of this passage, we see just a little bit of what Jesus is saying it looks like to live in Christ. Go to verse 24, it says, for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus is saying, you have to recognize that your old life is lost. You can't hold on to anything in the past. We see this in the, in, uh, further in the New Testament with Paul where he says, you, know, you die to your old self and you become a new creation. Right? You take off the old and you put on the new. Jesus is saying, lose yourself. If you wanna live in me, lose your old self. Become the new creation in me. Verse 25, he says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? We see that to live in Christ, to follow him, Jesus is saying that 
you need to not care about the things of this world more than you care about the things of, of the spiritual things, more than you care about the things in Christ. It's like our mind should be on that which is eternal. Our mind should care about the souls, not only our souls, but the souls of others. We should not be focused on the worldly things. That is what it looks like to live in Christ. When you can surrender, when you can deny your desire for the worldly things, and in turn, God says that as you follow me, I will rewire your desires, I will transform who you are, that you will now desire what I desire, right? That is to live in him. Verse 26 says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. And he's saying, if you wanna live in me, you will not be ashamed of who you are in me. Right? He's saying, don't be ashamed to, to have your identity in Christ. So much of what we deal with today is our identity gets put in so many different things. We put our identity in our, our political party. We put our identity in our careers. We put our identity in who we choose to be. That's, that's, that's a postmodern concept of who we choose to be. That is our identity. It, we get inundated this completely. What Jesus is saying is your first and foremost identity above all things is that you are a son or daughter of God. You are a Christian. You are a follower of Christ. And do not be ashamed of that. That is something to be proud of. You are an heir of the Most High King. Be proud of who you are in him. Not to be arrogant, not to be conceited, to be proud of who you are in him. And then lastly, in verse 27, he says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who are not gonna taste death until they see the kingdom of God. He goes, and, and by the way, when you live in me, you will see the kingdom, right? We understand the kingdom to be not just now, but it's both now and to be. He's like, I am ushering in the kingdom. If you live in me, you will see the kingdom. You will be part of expanding the kingdom. You will be playing your part of that. Part of your purpose of life will be to glorify me and to have joy as you get to live within the kingdom as a citizen first of the kingdom of God before anything else. But let's get back to Jesus and Peter because we see this, this tension in Peter right now. And I think Peter's a great illustration for us to keep carrying out what God's trying to teach us here. Uh, because Peter, Peter had this old life, right? He had given up a lot to follow Christ, uh, but he was still holding on to that hope of what the Messiah would be based on his understanding and based on what he desired. His mind was of the things of this world and he was correct in claiming who Christ was, but he was not correct yet in denying himself and his will and putting the will of Christ ahead of anything. So, so we see this transition in Peter occur over time, though. God doesn't leave him at this. Jesus doesn't leave this interaction just with, you know, Peter, I'm going to build my rock on this church. Peter makes a mistake. Peter then says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. The story doesn't stop there. Now, we understand that Peter actually continues on this road where he's not proud. He's actually ashamed. He's fearful. He's terrified. We, we know right before the crucifixion, Jesus or Peter denies Jesus three times. But then after Jesus dies and, and is resurrected and he meets back with the disciples, we see this great passage in John 21, 
uh, whenever Jesus is reconciled again with his disciples. And I want you to see what he does with Peter as he meets him on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he's feeding Peter a meal. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after that saying, he said to him, follow me. Jesus, I, I love this story because Jesus gives Peter three opportunities to confess to him, to, to really counteract the three times Peter denied Jesus, right? He asked him three times, do you love me? And three times Peter says, I do love you, right? He confesses it three times. And then we move from confession to this idea of denial, and for Peter, that what Jesus was saying, you must deny, he gives him the instructions of what to do in order to deny himself. He goes, if you love me, feed my sheep, right? If you want to deny yourself, you have confessed who I am. You have confessed that you love me. If you love me, feed my sheep. And then for Peter, for Peter specifically, he goes on to say, and after you have fed my sheep, you will follow in my path more than you understand. He gives Peter this taste that, that his life is not gonna be easy. He's gonna go down a difficult road and he's gonna die a really difficult death. And for anyone who knows the story of Peter, you know that history plays this out. Peter dies not a normal death, not an easy death. Peter dies a death even worse than Christ. Peter dies a death where he says, they say, they're gonna crucify him. And he goes, I am not worthy of dying the same way that my Lord and Savior died. Crucify me upside down on the cross. For me personally, one of the reasons I believe so much in Christ, one of the reasons I believe that he is the son of God is because I watch what he did in the lives of the disciples when they had nothing to gain. He gives them this instruction to feed his sheep and that they're gonna die a difficult death and they go through with it. They believe it wholeheartedly. Peter dies crucified upside down because he believed this so much that Jesus Christ was the Lord and Savior and could transform his life. And we do see him transform the life of Peter. If you read the words of Peter, whenever Peter's writing to the early church, uh, you see a transformed man who is no longer ashamed, who is no longer in fear, who knows the role he has to play in life, who has denied himself and is learning how to feed the sheep and is doing just what Jesus asked him to do. First Peter chapter four, verse 12, Peter's giving instructions to the early church and he says this, he goes, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
but rejoice insofar as you shared in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit and the glory of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evil doer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. If you move on to verse 19 in your Bibles, it says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls, right? Deny themselves and entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter goes on to teach the leaders of the early church, the elders, the caretakers. He teaches them. He goes, just as Jesus told me to feed the sheep, I want you to tend to the flock as well. And I want you to do it without desire for worldly gain. You know, keep your eyes on the spiritual things, not on the world. Don't be domineering. Be examples to the flock. And he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory that awaits the faithful service in Christ as you have denied yourself. He tells them in chapter five of 1 Peter, verse six, it says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want you to see this. Jesus gave Peter the chance to confess to him who he was, to confess to him that he loved him, and he told Peter to go feed the sheep, and Peter denied himself, and he went and he fed the sheep, right? He served them, he taught them, he led them, he cared for them, he prepared them, he prayed for them, and he was honest with them. He was honest with all these people who were going to follow in his footsteps just as he has followed in the footsteps of Christ. He says, you're gonna suffer. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you are gonna suffer. There will be pain, right? There will, it's gonna require humility, but God's grace will be upon you. He will strengthen you. So resist the power of sin, resist the allure of the world, resist the desire to go after the things of this world, but proudly suffer with Christ, suffer for Christ. Don't be ashamed for you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And you will also receive all of the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. And that is a promise. That is a promise that tells you that even though we suffer in this world, and we do, right? Even though we suffer, it means that because we have the blessings in Christ, we will have peace today. We can have joy in the midst of our pain. That is something that only comes through having an identity and following Christ. One, one thing, one mistake I think we make in the church today, in particular in the West, is that we've attempted at times to sell Christianity. We, we've, we've done it in a way where we talk about all the good things that come from following Christ and we don't always make it completely clear what the cost is to following Christ. We tend to leave that out. I know I've done it. It's a more difficult conversation to have. You don't wanna talk about the bad things. But if you love someone, right? If you love someone 
and you're trying to tell them something, right? You have got to tell them the whole truth. Now, I wanna give you an example of this to, to stick in your mind. I have a 1995 Ford F-250. It's a 7.3 liter turbo diesel. It is a beautiful truck. Uh, I bought this truck in Colorado. This is a picture of me buying my truck in Colorado and driving it back to Oklahoma. I love this truck. My wife hates this truck, which means this truck is always for sale. Uh, we, we had a guy the other day pull us over on the highway waving at us, trying to get me to pull over so that he could offer to buy my truck for him because there's a lot of people who love these old trucks. My wife thought I was crazy because I didn't immediately just hand it over to him. She would actually sell. If anyone were to call her right now, she would sell you this truck for $5, right? She just does not love this truck. Now, if I were trying to sell this truck to you though, I could tell you all the great things about it. It is a cult classic. It will run for forever. That old turbo diesel engine, it'll run for forever. It is beautiful. It just, it's got those old steel doors that when they shut, it just sounds cool. It's got the cool little windows, you know, little triangular windows where you can vent and open them up and they don't do that anymore. It's an awesome truck. Great long bed, get all kinds of trees in there. If you're trying to trim tree limbs, it's a really good truck. But if I'm trying to be honest with you, I've got to tell you other things about my truck too. If you buy this truck, it's got a gasket leak, and so there's some diesel that'll just come out spontaneously, so you need to be careful with your driveway. Uh, whenever you turn right, it makes a weird popping sound that I'm sure is absolutely fine. In the summertime, you get a great opportunity to really persevere because the AC doesn't exactly work. Uh, and, 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 you know, whenever it's really cold outside, the truck doesn't actually start, you know, very often at all. So, but, so, so if you're gonna buy my truck, you need to know these things. In particular, if I love you and you're wanting to buy my truck, I'm gonna have to tell you all these things, right? Shame on me if I don't tell you all these things about my truck. Jesus tells us the same thing. He goes, you can't sell Christianity, I just want you to tell the whole truth about what it means to follow me, right? Tell the whole truth. And he tells us, when you follow me, I'm telling you, count your cost. There's a cost to following me. I'm telling you, pick up your cross and follow me not once. Don't make one decision. Don't make two decisions. I'm telling you daily, Pick up your cross and follow me. And there will be suffering, there will be commitment, there will be pain, but by the way, there will be life in me. He's telling us, tell the whole story. But so often we fail to tell the whole story, but we should, Jesus tells us to. And honestly, truth works. It's an amazing concept, but truth works. I have this friend who's a, a, a retired uh, Marine. And he always tells me this. Uh, he says th the only branch of the U.S. military that, that every year seems to you know, meet or exceed its recruiting targets is the Marines. And he says they have a very different strategy than all the other branches of the military. The Marines, they don't concentrate on all the great things you get if you're a Marine. They don't concentrate on the benefits, the privileges, you know, what it looks like to, to wear the cool hat. Like they, they don't concentrate on all those things. What they concentrate on is telling you that it's gonna be hard, right? It is gonna be difficult. It is not for the weak, right? It is not something that just everybody can do, right? 
there's gonna be pain, there's gonna be trials, it's gonna be difficult, but when you become a Marine, when you're a United States Marine, you get the glory that comes from persevering through that and being one of the elite, right? That is what, that, for so often I, I look at that and, and people res, respond to that. They respond to the truth that the Marines tells them. They respond to the challenge. And when they go through basic training, whenever they go through all of it, they're not caught off guard. They know there's gonna be trials when they go. They know what to expect and they know that they can persevere through it because it's been told to them up front what to expect. He told me that one of the things that they tell the Marines right up front uh, as they're going through basic training is that death is better than dishonor. It's like they're, they're putting that in their heads as they go through. And these guys are signing up for this in droves, right? Because they're being very clear and very honest. They're telling the whole truth. As Christians, we have to know the whole truth. We are told we will suffer. We are told we must actually die to ourselves, to our own will, that we must take up our cross daily and we must follow, right? We cannot be Lord of our own lives and follow Christ. We have to deny that desire in ourselves, deny the world. We have to follow him. And when we're coaching people and we're telling people and we're telling the good news, let's tell all the news. Because the moment that someone who says that they've confessed Christ and that they're following Christ, the moment they have a trial and they're not expecting a trial, the moment that they get scolded for their faith, the moment that they have a consequence of their faith that they're not expecting and we haven't prepared them, they can fall away. And so we must tell the whole truth. And part of the truth is that God tells us this over and over again. He tells us there will be trials, there will be pain, there will be all this, but by the way, I will be there with you, right? I will be there with you. Isaiah 43 says this, and it's such a beautiful passage in the Old Testament. And it's true. It's beautiful because it's true. God's demonstrating it so many times. Isaiah 43 says, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, meaning his people, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God saying this, you have confessed my name. I have asked you who I am and you have responded with who I am. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, my Lord, my savior. And he goes, and you've denied yourself. You denied your own will and you are following me and you're gonna go through the trials. You're gonna suffer, but fear not for I am with you. Even though you walk through the fire that because you are mine now, because you are a child of God, you will not be consumed no matter what happens to you, no matter what medical diagnosis you have, no matter what happens at your job, no matter what issues you have in your family, no matter what self-esteem problems you may have, no matter what your IQ level or your financial level, no matter where you come from, 
you are no longer alone and no matter what trial it is, it will not consume you because God is there with you, empowering you with his grace to go out and do his will. I, I get frustrated every now and then. I shouldn't get frustrated, but, but I always hear over and over again, people say this saying and they say it out of good spirit. They say, God will never give you more than you can handle. And I say this so often to people, I say it's actually not true at all. It's not true at all. God, God will give you more than you can handle on your own. He will give you a lot more than you can handle on your own. And if all he gave you is what you could handle on your own, you would never be forced to deny yourself. You could do it all out of the power of your own right hand. God will actually give you a lot more than you can handle on your own, but he will say, and he shows us with all kinds of Bible stories all throughout the text. He goes, he goes, I will provide you the strength. I will be your power. My grace will flow through you and through my strength, through your faith, through my grace, I will give you the strength you need to endure, the wisdom you need to accomplish my will. If you rely upon me, if you deny yourself and you follow me. What does this look like to live under this reality of living in Christ, denying ourselves? For Peter, we see that his desire was of the things of this world. His mind was on the former things. But for him to deny himself was to go learn what it meant to be someone who fed the sheep. It, his desire for power, God flipped upside down. He goes, I'm gonna take your power and I'm gonna show you that true leadership, true leadership of which I will build my church upon actually looks like servanthood. I want you to go feed the sheep. And honestly, if you just use that as a quick litmus test for what it means to follow Christ, that is such a great way to look at our lives. If we were to look at our bank accounts, our calendar, what we pray for, how much of that, how much of that resource that God has entrusted to us goes towards the things of our will versus the things that are really about feeding the sheep of those that God loves? How much of it is centered on what we desire versus looking to fulfill the needs of others to go accomplish the work of God? It's a great way for us to really look at as a test almost ourselves, are we actually following our own will or are we following the will of God? And the other thing we see in the life of Peter that I think it, it goes without saying, but we have to say it, is, is to pick up your cross and to follow God in the life of Peter and in our lives, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to do, right? It is so much easier to not follow Christ. Make sure I explain that before you... Um, for anyone writes into Marty and tells him I'm a heretic, right? It is much easier to not follow Christ. You know, to, to actually isolate yourself from the, things of the, from the things of God and to only concentrate on yourself, it's an easier life. Uh, I, I remember the time in my life where I was really not following Christ, my life was easier than it is today. It was easier to not care about the needs of my friends. It was easier to not really care about my family as much. It was easier to not pour into my kids the way I'm supposed to be pouring into my kids. It was easier to not give my money to the church. It was easier to not go to church. Right? It was easier to not have vulnerability with this community of believers. All of it was easier to just isolate and to stay home. 
It's harder to be vulnerable. It's harder to be accountable. It's harder to serve, right? It is, it is, the Christian life is not an easy life. It's not for the weak at heart. But the great thing is, is that as we live this life in him, we find that the suffering and the trials and the hardships, we may, the world may tell us all these things are bad, but whenever it's done in Christ, it's actually joyful. There's life. There's actual life when you live that way. When you live in a manner worthy of the calling of the name of Christ, there is true living that occurs, not just in the world to come, but in this world today, we get to, to celebrate that. I gotta tell you, it's an amazing feeling to, to come into a body of Christ, our church here called Crossings. It, it is such an amazing feeling to come in and to have people who know me who love me, who encourage me, who will hold me accountable. And then I can take that strength and pour it right back into others. It's hard to do it, but it is life. It's a great life, even in the pain, almost more so in the pain, you see the joy that comes from following Christ. Is it hard? Yes. Are you gonna suffer? Yes but watch how you come alive in Christ. The teachings of Jesus are just so much more radical than we tend to give them credit for. Uh, if you wanna save your life, you must lose it. If you wanna be first, you should be last. Uh, but I, I want you to understand that we only believe that those teachings are radical because we are so used to living in a sinful, fallen world. To God, that is just the way. And he's saying the way is good. He's saying denying yourself, I know it's hard, but it's actually the way and it's the good way because I love you and I'm telling you and I'm God. And by my nature, I'm telling you the truth. And from last week, and the truth shall set you free. Trust me, follow me, right? Pick up your cross, deny yourself, not today, not tomorrow, not just on Fridays, not just on Sunday mornings, not just whenever you have an opportunity to be a good citizen in the community. He says, pick up your cross daily, daily and follow me. Terry teaches something very often and I come back to it all the time. And he talks about this idea of love. And he says, love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling that can come and go. Love is a decision that you make. You make the decision each day to love. Biblical love as we understand it, biblical love is not worldly love. Biblical love is this idea of self-sacrifice, of loving one way, of not going back, of not expecting anything in return, but loving those because we've been told to. We make the decision to do that, right? And just like we make the decision to love, we make the decision to love Christ by daily making a conscious decision to follow him, to deny ourselves and to follow him. And what an amazing opportunity we have as Christians today to really live out our faith and to do this. 
There are so many ways. The way of the Christian to live as Christ has called us to live, to deny ourselves and to follow him, to not be concerned about the power and the glory and the fame of the world, to not be busy with things that don't matter, but to be busy with the things of God, right? To make his time holy, to make his people holy, to be salt and light in the world, to do all those things. They require denying ourselves, but what an awesome opportunity we have right now to go be that in this world. I hope as you hear this lesson today that you can pray through it and you can ask God to reveal to you, what is it? What is it that I'm not denying? What, what is it that I'm holding on to that's preventing me from, from having this amazing opportunity to go live for you and serve your people, to go feed the sheep, to go tend to the flock, right? to go spread your word, Right? What is it about what I am keeping into myself and keeping in my will and not denying is keeping me from going and doing that? May you reveal it to me. May I confess it. May I ask for you, O oh God, to give me the strength to overcome it. May you take it away. And may I be someone who says, I am actually daily picking up that cross, denying my own desires, and I'm following you. And I want, to, I want to remind all of you that if you actually do that, if you live that life, be ready for the trials to come. Be ready for the fiery trials. Be ready for the waters to rise. But remember that God says when you walk through those waters, when they pass over you, when you walk through that fire, you shall not be burned. The flame cannot consume you because you are a child of God. Right, Nothing can touch you in this world for you are his. Right, Walk through the trials. His grace will empower you. Go be people who pick up our cross and we go and we serve him. As we close this out today, make sure you let this be something you pray for. This, this probably isn't something that we all do the same. It's not something that we all respond with the same. There's something in each of our lives that is keeping us from doing this, that is keeping us from following Christ. Let him reveal that to you and may you respond accordingly. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, I thank you so much for this world that you've given us. Thank you for your beautiful creation and I thank you for allowing us to be a part of your great story of redemption. What you have taught us in these lessons does not make sense in this world. It is not what we, what we learn, but it's truth and it's good. May you show us the way to deny ourselves. May you help us to follow you. May you be glorified as we do it. And may we experience the joy that comes in living for you and in you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next Wednesday.